day. Welcome to 2022. Who would have thought? <laughs> Here we are. And we are deeply ensconced in who knows what, right? The great awakening where we we can't really can't really pull anything a tangible um, definite thinking together. My name is PJ. And I'm here to um, walk you through this dawn of awakening. Now, I started this podcast over a year ago now. And I did that um, quite a few months. I had quite a few followers. And then I rested it. And I've had some questions around, you know, why did you... um, Looking forward to podcasts and they stopped. Well... Basically, I was also going through my own transformation and it felt um, uh, a little disingenuine, if you like, where I'm moving through my own morphs and shifts and understandings and kind of didn't really feel like I was, you know, (laughs) not really in a position to guide um, because of those shifts and changes that I was moving through myself. Over the last oh, 17 months, I guess, I have been through this massive shift and I've watched um, through my Telegram channel how others have also been touched by this massive awakening. When I began the podcast, I had a very different view of the world. Uh, philosophically, it's matched, but... Um, I had some very different reference points and here I am 70 months down the track and those reference points have absolutely revolutionized my knowing and helped me in retrospect when I look back at who I was, um, how I think and where I brought together those points Um, was a very, very different set of, yeah, a different set of data points. Um, And so as I moved through that change, um, I allowed myself to just feel those experiences. Dawn of Awakening has been, um, uh, I, I think if you're really honestly looking at your own growth and, um, your your own knowing um it is it, it's cause to really question um where we're at it, those of us who feel this way so who am i now i thought i should reintroduce myself i think that's only fair and it's good for people who have just joined um i have done the podcast not because i'm better than anybody else but I use this as a tool to pull together lots of thoughts and insights and the idea is that you can play this back at any time no matter where you are in the world and you can have access to um, a a little bit of a summary or a way the way PJ sees the world (laughs) and um, if you've met me through telegram or other um, platforms telegram being probably my most active channel Um, or platform that I've used, then um, this is a little bit different because 
most of that is just written and occasional video and here you have the audio so a little gift for you um, a little souvenir if you feel that you like what's shared and you um, feel that somebody else will resonate by all means forward it and send it through and you know more's the merrier really we're all going through this together after all uh, I am a mum to two adult kids on the spectrum and I have just been blessed with a bonus daughter who um, is my, my son's girlfriend. He just moved back last week. Um, had lots of questions, people saying, so how's that going? And it's actually been really very beautiful. It's actually um, a little bit of a miracle. I will say that because my son is was the kind of kid that was incredibly difficult to live with and needs to be busy always. And if he's not busy, he finds things to do, which can be a source of irritation for the people around him. I'm being so kind. <laughs> he's a pain in the butt a lot of the time. But with maturity, he's grounded, thank God. They all told me that this would happen. And it really does happen. So if you have a handful of a child, know that maturity does eventually kick in life gets to them and um, they start to wake up themselves so there's now five of us in the house and um, my daughter has been living with us the whole time we live here on bribey island and uh, each day i i can see how every decision that we've made has brought us to this point and I'm sure you're going through that yourself your life doesn't make any sense if you are standing still and looking forward into the future when you cut yourself back at say 20 or 30 or 40 it doesn't make any sense at all because you go from here to here to here to here to here then you do that you marry them divorce them you get <laughs> it's all a mishmash but actually when you look back and I hope that you can if you're holding on to any regrets this is something that god is guiding me to do and i'll tell you a little bit about that in a minute i just want you to let go of that guilt and regret because there's no room for that going forward okay when you look back you can see that every minute detail and decision has been ostensibly planned like as somebody said to me during the week, a, a rich tapestry. And wow, you know, who would I be and where would I be if I hadn't made that decision? And I just give thanks to God for guiding and supporting that. Way back when I began the dawn of awakening, I was not a, I was not saved in any way. And uh, although I had an awareness of God, I've always had a close relationship to God. I didn't really have much regard for um, Christianity. I didn't. I actually didn't know what it was. I had an understanding of what I thought was Christianity through religious um, inference, and I really didn't trust the Bible. So uh, it's it's quite the miracle. Firstly, that I distribute copies of the Geneva Bible, <laughs> and I had clear clear instruction from God when I started to do that last year and God said and now you know what you need to do with that Bible and I'm like say what 
and distribute it. PJ distributing a Bible. Oh, the irony. And I, I was like a lot of people who, um, I guess, never got the memo, you know, and never really truly understood the Bible and the way, the, the incredible work that it is. I've been influenced in this period of time by some incredible individuals uh, that are close to me and I count as very good friends being mentored and coached and guided. Um, the relationship, obviously, that I have with God being so rich and the Holy Spirit blessing me with a gift of insight, wisdom, knowledge and other gifts, which we will talk about through this Great Awakening because that's one of the things that God is insisting that I bring to you from my own story and my own experience. So consider me like a, a storyteller. So two adult children on the autism spectrum and um, uh, I have been married three times and the whole point of the the life that I've um, journeyed through has been to teach me uh, and show me things. I'm somebody who um, you'll hear me when I when I express my how did I develop my intuition? How did I know that it was God? How could I lean into that kind of um, knowing? And it's the Holy Spirit that does that. Um, and the Holy Spirit was made known to me at five. I remember exactly what I was doing. Funnily enough, I was standing right in the front of a picture of Mother Teresa. <laughs> if you know what the story behind Mother Teresa is and the nefarious deeds she's been up to, the irony of that, I remember it distinctly. I was five years old. And I felt the Holy Spirit come into my heart and light my heart. Um, yeah. And I've, I've, I tell you, I've had... Um, a journey that would, you know, make your blood run cold. Some of the things that have been um, drawn into, been part of, bullied and mocked and ridiculed. And it really has um, been, a, you know, through two scary, um, violent marriages where there was no sign of it before the marriage. It was just the actual container itself had these people, these men flare at me. And um, yeah, and I was married again in 2014. And I've been married ever since to um, an amazing man who allows me the space to stretch my wings and be who and what I need to be. And I have transformed and morphed. Not, not so much the essence of me, that's always been there, but um, the expression of me has has been literally transformed in a journey that I I do need to put pen to paper around um, because it, it's it's been quite remarkable this journey. I'm grateful for Jesus and our Lord Jesus Christ for not giving up on me and at many times there where I was very much the prodigal daughter. <laughs> 
I'm sure many of you can relate. I've definitely come home and felt home, you know, and wanting to have always wanted to create community so that like-minded people can be part of that that experience as well of listening to their stories and experiencing the joy um, that comes in in community with the brothers and sisters of Christ. I I just feel so blessed. I um, have been in the truth movement now for, um, well, I've always seen the truth. I've always seen the world as a very strange place. My very first sentence to my parents was, when are you going to take me to the sycamore tree? I didn't even know what that meant. And it drove my parents insane because I kept asking them, when are you going to take me to the sycamore tree? The sycamore tree being this place that if they were my real parent, I remember thinking it, if they know the answer to this, I know they're my real parents. <laughs> Isn't that funny? They didn't know the answer. It was very sad. <laughs> I remember thinking, if they're my real parents, they will know. They will know where to take me. They will know what that means. And they didn't know what it meant. Just think about that for a minute. Sycamore tree is mentioned in the Bible many times. The sycamore tree is the tree of life that was in the Garden of Eden. I didn't know that. Well, I must have known it at some level. It humbles me right at this moment. God is revealing this to me as I speak. I was trying to work out if they were in the kingdom of God or not. I felt so different from my family. I am very different to my family. The odd one, the black sheep. The one that looks at the world differently, that needed to get her head out of the clouds. The one that desperately wanted to help people. The one that was told that she had visions that were not of this world and that I didn't belong here. The one that was told when she was seven years old, I don't even know why I gave birth to you. And the one that had so much compassion for people's suffering. We used to drive past a, uh, a prison And I would feel the pain and the suffering of the people that were in there, not because of what they did, but because they didn't have the guidance and the love to make the right decisions at the right time. I remember saying to my father, would it be okay one day if we went to visit the prison inmates? And I'll never forget it he nearly slammed his foot on the brake we were on the highway are you insane what are you saying you know he went off his nut at me and he said never tempt fate you know and he was looking at it through his protective vision you know uh, uh, you know you don't want to go and see those inmates they're evil they're bad people and I guess you know I guess to some extent that's correct but it was me feeling so 
sorry for the people that had landed in jail because I knew that they didn't have love. And that was a bit of a sort of a grounding moment for me. A, you know, this is not acceptable to think like that in this society. And I always wanted to know why. I went through school and I could see the system. I could see how horrendous it was. I could see how it was built against the children. It was against free thought. And I was vim, I was so creative. I used to draw trees a lot as a kid. The sycamore tree was everything to me. It was everything. <laughs> and I used to draw and draw and draw. And mum said, you drove me crazy with the sycamore tree. And I actually found my first sycamore tree that I ever discovered. Well, in conscious awareness. The first sycamore tree I ever, ever came across was a 3,000-year-old tree. And it lives inside Karnak Temple in Egypt. I was 44, I think. And I looked at the guards and I said, is this a sycamore tree? And they said, yes, yes, very well, <laughs> the way that they do. And I'm like, oh, my God, I've got photos. I should share them. And um, we stood by the sycamore tree and we ate. It's like a, uh, it's like a lychee. It's a very, it, it, it's, it's such an ancient tree. It's almost like prehistoric in its nature it's like the baobab tree it's very unusual the magnolia tree same thing really unusual looking thing you know doesn't look of this world and so the sycamore tree doesn't as well and in ancient times in ancient egypt what they used to do was they used to take unwell people to the foot of the sycamore tree to replenish their souls and so they had a very sort of um archaic idea uh, and the idea was they would take the bodies the, the sick people to the foot of the tree and they would hang them over the trees and if they would revive the tree would give them back their life and we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago I'm, I'm talking way back um and if the person died, the tree would give uh, life. So it was like a mess. The tree was a messenger from God. And it's really interesting, gosh, that that same idea was a messenger from God. We had the tree of knowledge and the tree of life. And God was very clear that Adam not partake in that tree of knowledge, do you remember? And the sycamore tree was the tree of life. Very, very interesting. Well, it's said that that's what it is, so I hold that. And actually, it was really weird because when I was asking my parents, when are you going to take me to the sycamore tree? There was no sycamore trees. They don't grow here. I live in a subtropical region. We don't have those trees. They do grow in London and other parts of the world, obviously, and they are what's known as a plane tree, so they're part of the same family, P-L-A-N-E. You can look it up. And the plane trees are the beautiful trees that are lined all the way through Melbourne, through Melbourne streets. They are also a sycamore tree, which I didn't realise until last year. So, yeah, this relationship that I had with the world and the way that I view the world 
comes in from a very early age. And at age 11, I renounced Catholicism. Now, uh, you have to understand that I thought, well, actually, it was very confusing. It was like people would say, are you Christian? I'd go, no, Catholic. And then I'd walk away and I'd think, why did I say that? Aren't Catholics Christians? Oh, no, because there's all these different Christians. Oh, I don't get it, whatever. And then i just leave it because <laughs> I just, I was raised Catholic. And my grandfather was a st- stoic Catholic. So he would go to church every Sunday. I think to pray for his parents and he liked going to a house. He never ever related to anybody from the church and none of his friends were church. He used to take me um, and he'd insist on going to mass and that was the extent of it. Beyond that, it was gambling and smoking cigarettes and alcohol out your eyeballs. (laughs) I I am... um, the daughter of many, many generations of alcoholics and publicans, so they could drink. Um, I don't drink. I gave that up uh, about five years ago uh, at God's insistence, actually. Uh, God sent a messenger my way and basically said, be ready, put on the armour of God. I'll never forget that. I didn't even know what that was. I didn't know the Bible. And um, be ready. You're, you're going to be called into battle. And into battle I went. I went into spiritual warfare and was subjected to incredible spiritual attacks like you wouldn't believe uh, that happened upon my physical body um, that rendered me completely impotent and had me at one stage nearly suicidal from pain um, and that had me perplexed as my family and specifically my children uh, when I rejected the spiritual attack then the spiritual attack came through my kids it was awful my son was hit by a car uh, nearly taken out by a very powerful um, crash at another point Um, all kinds of things it was not pleasant and it wasn't until I, you know, I came into queue and I realised through a lot of people, you know, they were saying that, you know, God's children are put through the worst um, challenges of all. And I'm like, what? And this was a very different kind of Christianity that I understood. You know, these people were just a bit weird, slightly off the tree and didn't I didn't get it I didn't get and they were part of institution I wasn't wishing to be institutionalized why would we follow a book why would we follow a book written by man everybody knows that Constantine (laughs) I was one of those everybody knows that Constantine rearranged those books everybody knows the books are missing from the bible blah blah I had it all I knew it all because I had done my Egypt tours I'd been to places I knew things right and a truther all my life. But I've been, this week I've been reflecting on, I renounced Catholicism at age 11 and I actually had my first spiritual attack one week later. So I missed my year seven graduation. I was exceptionally sick for pneumonia 
Nellie died. And uh, my teacher, ex-nun, woke me up and said, come to the car with me in the middle of the night. Come to the car with me. Um, I want to see if it's unlocked. I was I was asleep. And I was like, oh, my God. And how do you say no to a teacher? We're in a cabin. She's basically come to wake, chose me, and I've got to go and, you know, you, you comply, don't you? Uh, I wasn't very happy, and it poured with rain. I got wet, and whenever I get wet, that's when my health is compromised. The next day, I had some spare time, um, and we could use our spare time any way we liked. This was our first real school camp. Every other year, from year four, five, six, we went to get this, right? <laughs> our school camp was at a Banyo Seminary. Can you believe that? We were little kids, Catholic kids. And we would be, we would go to the Banyo Seminary. It was a time when they were taking in priests and the priests had been let go for the season back to home. And then this was used as our accommodation. Weird. I can't even believe that happened. I would be against that if my children, I would, I would not sign the piece of paper for them to go. No way. And this is what we did. And my parents, they didn't know any better. They were only 20 years older than me, so they were still babies themselves. And um, so we went to a real camp, Camp Baden-Powell. You want to look him up? I don't reckon he's a cool dude either, just saying. I have a feeling he was a pedophile. But it was in this school camp. We had some spare time. And we could do whatever we like. So I went for a walk and I went into the a bush setting and in the bush setting was this beautiful bush chapel which was nothing it was just trees hello I love trees and these logs that were sitting like pews and there was a crucifix at the back of what looked this clearing but there wasn't an altar and I remember saying well this is so much nicer and I looked up, I was 11, and I'm looking around. I can still remember this so clearly. And I felt the presence of God. And I did hear God speak, but I can't remember what it was now. It'll probably come back to me in a few weeks. And I remember saying, this is so much better than a church. Why do I feel so much closer to God here than I would in a creepy church with creepy statues? Oh, my goodness. I'm not Catholic. I renounce Catholicism. I said it right there. I just want to follow God. So I went through high school, a Catholic convent, girls' school. You can feel sorry for me now. <laughs> and it was murder, okay? And, and this was my last year. So I missed my graduation, right? I got sick. from I, be, I had um, double pneumonia. I don't know what makes it double or triple, but, you know, that was a diagnosis. And my mum came to me. I was in the children's ward and my mum came to me and she said to me, if you don't get better, 
we're going to be in real trouble. And I, I, she never really said what it was. And she goes, they're going to put you on a drip. Um, they're going to feed you through a tube. You must get better. And that was my first experience ever of praying for God's intervention. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed to the God that I found in the bush chapel, not the one that the school had told me about. And um, I prayed, and the next morning, um, I was better. I was got. I was. I was right as rain. I still had a heavy chest, and I still had to be very careful. I had five weeks um, of bed rest, but the crisis um, was over. And. They looked at their markers. I remember them coming in and going, this is impossible. And mum came in at about 10.30 or 11 that morning and she said, you're better. And I said, am I? <laughs> I was still pretty sick. She goes, no, all of the markers are back and your fever's broken and, it, you know, all of the things. And it was, it was, I know that it was God that was working in my life at that point. And I guess that was my first taste of um, God's healing and calling in divine grace and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to come in and take care of me when I didn't know what else to do. I definitely didn't want a tube in me and I definitely didn't want the intervention from the doctors. Sound familiar? So I've always been like that. And uh, away we went. I actually ended up having that three times um, over the course of about five years I was in the hospital many times so yeah that was that was quite the awakening um and i didn't make those connections until these last months and i i kept getting flashbacks what i call flashbacks you might look at it well that's just a memory no i'm not i'm not remembering something it, it's god brings it the holy spirit brings it in front of me to make sense like flashcards or a movie trailer it's like why are you showing me this for oh and then yes you renounce catholicism you are not catholic and i rejected it all the way through school i rejected the system i used to make fun of the teachers i i didn't like their rules i didn't like the principles i wasn't i was a sensible child but I very much had my own mind and my own path. And it's really interesting, the prescribed reading that we had at school, Man's Search for Meaning, which is all about no matter what they do to you. I've mentioned this many times. Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. It's written by an Auschwitz survivor. And there's a whole lot of other things I can say around that. But the man was assisted by the grace of God. So let's just take that at face value through whatever it was that he went through. And he um, uh, described in detail how he was saved by the Holy Spirit and that no matter what they tried to do to him, that they would not be able to break his spirit and that his relationship with his soul and the Holy Spirit was everything, no matter what they tried. He ended up converting um, a couple of the prison guards as well, he was a model prison prisoner and uh, was promoted through the ranks and converted many people through that, which is exactly the way God would work, isn't it? We also had a book um, that we needed to read called 1984. 
And it was almost like the schooling that I had, apart from Romeo and Juliet, the schooling that I had set us up. It was almost like a handbook for survival. These are the steps. These are the books. And did they know? Maybe they did. I don't know. But this was what we had to do. And then right at the end of school, uh, in order to get out of, I hated every minute. And I could have left with many of the year 10s that left and went off to nursing and teaching and secretarial school and all the things that you did back then. Uh, Just in my heart, I kind of knew that I needed to be, I needed to stay. Um, I also wasn't old enough. I was put into school a year ahead of my grade, uh, a year ahead of my age. So, you know, I was still only 14 at the end of year nine. And, um, oh, hang on, end of year 10. And you needed to be 15 to leave school. Um, I went through year 11 and year 12, finished at 16. And to get out of school was not, you know, you need to finish at this many, you know, points for your knowledge, et cetera, et cetera. No, we had to um, do a thesis on comparative religious studies. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is interesting. Okay, I can do this. This because I love spirituality. I love the analysis of spirituality. I love looking at comparative religions to understand and, you know, to um, break it apart. And um, that's always been a thing for me. So we were doing this comparative religious studies and um, it was very, very interesting because I got all the way through these comparative religions. We studied Islam, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, and Christianity. Was it Catholicism? I think it must have been Catholicism. So we basically had five uh, modules to study over a two-year period. And then at the end, to get out of jail, (laughs) you had to do a comparative analysis of each of the religions. And, um, yeah. That's what I did, and I got my certificate, and away I went in year 12. In those comparative studies, I remember thinking, I'm in the wrong team. I remember remember distinctly thinking that, remembering, oh, I've renounced Catholicism anyway, so I'm not part of this, and that each of the religions, I remember each of the religions, the main religions, had a theme it seemed to repeat in the next theme. And it wasn't until another 20 years later, after 9-11, that I was able to pull that out and have another look at it. And I realised that it looked like an evil hand had designed religion and pulled uh, elements of one belief system and literally put it into the next belief system. So I first encountered that concept at school, just through my own sort of awareness and insights. And then 20 years later, doing it through the internet, going, yeah, no, this is not good, with the realisation that there was an end game. And this end game involved very clearly religions pitted against each other. So here we are in 2021. 
And I remember 2022, <laughs> I remember saying, I cannot believe I'm in 2021 and we still have these religious wars going on. There was lots of people in Twitter and others that were sort of vehemently against all the different religions and the more, let's say, naive, they mean well, saying, you know, everybody's included and actually... No, when you get boiled down to it and you get down to the actual reasons for some of the uh, the agenda and the history behind a lot of these um, uh, religious the theosophies, uh, they're quite nefarious in their intention. Um, here we are in 2022 and we're looking at the Great Reset by the World Economic Forum, which is their version of their reset to catch people who are not yet awake. I spent a lot of time over the last decade um, with the Egyptian people. I love people of all different nationalities and of all cultures. I love understanding them and learning how they think and what their worldview is. That That's something I really, I'm sure if you know me, you know that much about me. And getting to know, you know, okay, what? so how does, what's your belief on that and how does that go? And I've been in touch with many, many, many thousands of people over the years, many thousands, easily, Hun oh, tens of thousands. I would say, from the time that I started work to now. And I've either been in touch with them directly or indirectly teaching and in the various industries. I was always a teacher or a, um, or a trainer and um, speaking and speaking in front of groups, which is something I really love to do. And, and you know, podcasts and Telegram, I mean, it goes on and on and on. So, yeah, there would be tens of thousands of people that I've been in touch with through the course of my journey. And one of those things that I um, I loved, the part of Egypt that I love, is learning about people and their own belief system. Uh, I learned, as I, I live in villages when I, when I go there, and I sit on the floors with the women in the groups, on the village floors, you know, there's nothing glamorous. I don't stay in five-star hotels. I can't stand it, actually. When I go to the hotels, I feel like they're institutions and they're a false um, bubble that you live in and they can make... The, there is this illusion of grandeur and pomp and I don't like it. I don't... I, I don't. It, yes, there's comfort and beautiful hotel pillows and fluffy towels, and, but actually, if you strip all that back, you're actually just in a prison anyway. Think about it. You get a toilet and a shower. It could be a hospital, but it's a hotel. So I don't like it. I, I stay there for a little while to get my bearings while I'm in Egypt. And then they pull me out. Thank God. <laughs> the boys come and get me and I go and stay in the village. And it's a culture shock. Like, <laughs> it's it's not for the faint of heart, you know. You have to, as a Westerner, you need to be very careful with your personal hygiene and 
in, 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 and meticulously because it's not supported there. Their lifestyle is very different. Their immune systems are different as a result. They already know that. <laughs> they can do things that I can't do um, and they have to cater and modify for me. But one of the things I love doing is listening and talking to them and I, I can see the light in some people, not all, but I can definitely see God in their hearts regardless of what they believe. Okay, and they see it in me too. It's a very, it's really a very cool thing. And uh, the times that I've spent there and understood the religion and there are things that, oh boy, I don't like that. <laughs> and I keep that to myself, but they believe it. So that's fine. You do your thing. Would you like to, you know, do what we're doing? No, no, thanks. It's good. You know, um, you're... You, you do what you need to do and, and I maintain my boundary and my own belief. Um, and it's funny because that's outlined in the Bible as well where God says, you know, because of the covenant, the covenant that's occurred that, you know, you, you don't need to judge people by what they're doing and I certainly don't need you to praise me, he says, by um, works or rituals and certainly not with blood sacrifices um, that's not necessary. But, you know, apart from the blood for sacrifice, prefer that you didn't eat that. Beyond that, yeah, you partake and be be a human being and be loving and being part of it. So that's what I've been doing over the last 10 years. The tours that I take to Egypt, I, I tend to attract people who are fascinated with Egypt and drawn to Egypt for the culture often or for the mystery or... Um, you know, they may be, they may have a spiritual bent, um, or they just want to see it, and they felt this affinity with it, or they know it through the Bible. And for a lot of people, Egypt scares people, scares the bejesus out of them, actually, because they're like, "Yeah, you know, this is where all the frogs and the famines happen, and where me, I'm like, no, let me, let me at it. I want to feel it. I want to experience it. I want to um, immerse." myself in this culture and I'm drawn to it and I think what I've determined over the last certainly the last 12 months is my ancestry is there my, there is a Jewish thread in my DNA and Ashkenazi Jew actually there you go see Jesus saves everybody um, and we are I have no proof because the records were lost naturally um but these are the stories from my grandmother and the Jewish name was Albrecht, a German Jew. So make that differentiation. And this German Jew name was a surname. So obviously through the male side um, of the family. And it has Ashkenazi origins. Yay, go me. <laughs> so um, I could be evil, right? I could be hated, but no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not evil. I don't have an evil bone in my body. Um, although people come at me as though I, I, I am, and I can tell you that I'm not. Um, but it just goes to show, you know, it's not about your bloodline. It's not about your family of origin. It's not about your ancestry. That doesn't prove you in the eyes of God. What proves you in the eyes of God is your belief in Jesus and that Jesus died on the cross to save our sins. That's it. And if you can't believe that then 
there's nothing God can do for you either. He will do what he can. But at the end of the day, if you don't believe that Jesus is the doorway into salvation, then okay, deal's off. <laughs> you go your way and I'll go mine, you know. Uh, that That's my my deep analysis of, of the journey into Christianity. What a lot of people don't realise is that behind, under the layer of the Muslim, oh, actually there's layers, there's layers and layers and layers upon layers upon layers there. The, the spirituality in Egypt is layered so deeply. Um, I, I, it's hard to believe they can believe anything. <laughs> because, and, it, and you feel it when you're there. If you're sensitive, if you're a true empath like me, you feel it. And you feel the conflict and the tension and you feel the confusion. It's like somebody, when you go to Egypt, it's like somebody puts you into a round room and tells you to look for a penny in the corner. Really, it's like that. That's why I go ahead of time. <laughs> I have to, because I need to ground and get used to the vibration myself because it's a real washing machine energetically. And I need to be ready for the people when they come on my tour so that <laughs> I can catch them, you know, and they, they have this sort of, there's a couple of, a couple of days where they've got to uh, integrate and equalise, okay, because the energy there is it's very strong, it's confronting, some of it's confronting, um, some of it is not familiar at all and um, it leaves you feeling very humble and very vulnerable. There is a layer in there, though, of Christianity, and it was actually in Egypt, in Cairo, where I found Jesus, where I actually found the proof, the Thomas that I was, right, that I actually found the evidence in my heart that Jesus was real. I felt, I felt a hand on my back, and my dear friend said to me, that was the Holy Spirit, and I said, yeah? And he goes, yeah. I said, this, it was, I, I had gathered my flock. I think I mentioned this before. And I was pulling them out and we were guiding them back to the bus. And I was looking just to check that we hadn't missed anybody. And I just found this hand on my back. And I thought it was Abdu, my business manager and friend. And I turned around and there was no one there. And it was a hand. Like, it wasn't like, I thought, oh, maybe it's hot and sweaty. And maybe, was it the wind? No, it was, I, it felt like pressure. I felt like a hand and it was like I have your back I'm looking after you you're one of mine oh god it was so moving it was so incredibly moving because I had argued till I was blue in the face <laughs> with these people and told them I didn't want to go I didn't want to go to Coptic Cairo it's too confronting and it's too confusing and I I didn't know anything I couldn't take people in a group that had paid big money for me to come and take them into a district that I'd done nothing. I don't, I, ha I hadn't done any research. And uh, Abdu said, PJ, if there's anyone in the whole wide world that would know whether this area was fake or real and that Jesus and Mary lived there, you of all people would be the one that would know, yeah? It gets me with logic every time. Oh, okay. And I think I've mentioned this in other um, podcasts where I've said, you know, we had the hole in the itinerary and we'd been arguing and I just didn't want to go there. Can we go anywhere else, Abdul? 
you know, and it's like, no. And, and even my protests, you know, I was protesting that what you protest the most is usually the thing you need the most. All right. And he's like, you need of all people in the world, PJ, all the people of all the people I help. You're the one that needs to go there the most of all. This is your background. And that might surprise you. <laughs> it was the Muslim people that turned me to my own faith. See how God works in mysterious ways? Like, if I had rejected those people, I'm sure God would have found another way, but it, it would have been a very big dog leg to get back to the point of that, right? And each, there isn't a week that doesn't go past where I don't reflect on that irony of, oh my God, I was pushing, pushing, no, no, no. They're going, yes, yes, yes. Come on, now's the time. There's an opening in the itinerary. Let's go. It, this is for you. And I'm like, oh, this is a bad idea. And then bang, I feel the truth of God's wisdom. In that day, at that time, there was no question. Jesus lived in this building under the ground to get away from the Romans. You could feel it. It was real. <laughs> uh, you would have to be dead not to feel it. The it was this incredible warmth and love and, and you could still feel his essence there. It was, yeah, it was amazing. Um, and I would, and now, <laughs> now it's on the itinerary the whole time. Coptic Cairo is my favourite part of Egypt, um, which it was even before. We just didn't go to that spot because <laughs> I was like, I don't know. man, you know, the Bible, it's, I don't know if you know I am too, but... <laughs> It's been amended and altered, and I'm not sure I believe all that. And you know, oh, that's that's where I was. And first, I had this relationship with Jesus in 2016. Um, I, I could feel that it was real, and that I didn't have anything to worry about. There was no question that it was real. And then it's taken five years to um, truly turn to Jesus and offer all I do at His feet. The fact that I'm actually doing this podcast, I offer everything to the Lord and I put this at his feet. The stories that I tell you, this is not about me whipping me up. I'm trying to say my journey and the, and the, <laughs> the very inimitable ways in which God makes his presence felt in the strangest of places, even the most logic of minds. Okay, I wasn't going to get caught up in all that. I don't want to be involved in Christianity. It's all false. Yeah, there is false Christianity. I was dead set right. And Jesus speaks about the falsehood of Christianity. He speaks against the people, the Pharisees, that put him up, that put up a, a false Messiah. Okay, and this great awakening that we're moving through now is about peeling apart the layers and the truth of what is truly coming. Many of you have been through the spiritual attacks. I'm going to go over that in specific podcasts, I hope, because I never actually really know what I'm going to say until I press the button. I hope you know that. <laughs> There's no plan. God just says, okay, let's go. And he uses me and... I speak and I'm shown what he wants me to say. 
So from the human perspective, it gets a bit nerve-wracking doing a podcast on this stuff. But he has informed me that the story is the most important thing and that you will feel me through my story and I hope that you're able to do that. Coptic Cairo is Christian Cairo. It is the Christian area. It is the area and, and the Muslim people there are moderate. Okay, they're mostly Sunni. I think they're probably all Sunni. People think that Sunni and Shiite, that one is better than the other. That's all bullshit. Okay. Just, just wipe that away. Okay, there are moderate Muslims and there are fanatic Muslims. And there are fanatics in Cairo. There are fanatics in the, you know, the wheat belt of America who are Christians as well, right? There's fanatics in every area. There is the godly and there is the godless. And God's chosen who they are. And some of them are layered under a very thick sediment of belief of false beliefs and this great awakening is what he's showing me is that he is ripping the lid off all of it and soon we will know the truth and those that put forward these false religions and used his children through these false religions doing these false acts following these false idols and rituals, just as he did in ancient Egypt. He speaks about the the false deities and the false gods that have been created and they are an abomination in his eyes. So anybody that has been used the wrong way by the enemy will be dealt with. And those that, that, that have the light of God in their hearts will rejoice and will rise up. And there are those, 1 Thessalonians, you know, that beautiful, beautiful passage where we believe that Jesus died and rose again and lifts up the dead in Christ first. Think about it. I just do it. <laughs> I do as I'm told. And I do um, what God shows me. That's really interesting. On my recording, just paused then, and I went on for another 15 minutes. Um, and it appears that God's asking me to say that for another day, which I think is a really, really good idea. Um, I have really loved being able to deliver this to you, and I hope that you're enjoying this. I do want to finish off with... Um, a song um, in in the book of Psalms. Okay, I'm going to read that now. I waited for Psalm 40, and I use the in this case I've got the Alabaster series. It's a coffee table book series, and um, it's beautifully laid out with photographs, and it's just a very um, nice twist on a classic Bible. If you feel triggered or traumatized by um, the memories of using a Bible at school, many of us do. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God.
Many will see what he's done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud or in those who worship idols. O Lord, my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. You take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. Now that you've made me listen, I finally understand. You don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. Then I said, look, I have come as it is written. In the scriptures, I will take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. I've told all your people about your justice. I have not been afraid to speak out, as you, O Lord, well know. I have not kept the good news of your justice hidden in my heart. I have talked about your faithfulness and your saving power. I have told everyone in the great assembly of your unfailing love and faithfulness. I hope that you've enjoyed that. I hope that you um, continue to listen to my podcast and I will continue to show up and do these weekly for you so you can sit back and relax and know that uh, you're definitely not alone here. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Look forward to catching up soon.